Sims the freshman. Sims had to hustle it, and he's got it to give. He handles in. Oh, man, give. Touchdown. And now going for the end zone, and caught for the touchdown by Zay Flowers. Hokies come with pressure. Spins out of it. Now he's got to get rid of it. Has a receiver open to the end zone, and a touchdown. Into the boundary, Fitzpatrick juggled it, and it is intercepted. Divine Diablo comes away with the carol. And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. Jason, how are we doing? Absolutely lovely, Dan. Can you feel that in the air? That's right. College football back this month. Incredible. Can't wait to get to it. Do we have a day's countdown on the college football? I've kind of lost track at this point. Yeah, I think we're I, – I've been a little AWOL of Twitter this weekend, been doing a little vacaying. I think we're down to around 29, 28, something like that. Let's see. Well, the first game – no, this is easy because it's August 1st, and the first yeah. game is August 28th, so it'll be 27 days. All right, man. Okay. Maybe I was doing a little bit too much vacationing. But regardless, <laughs> this month, unbelievable. And ACC football is not long after that, I think a couple of days. So that will definitely be very exciting. One of my most favorite times of the year. And, yeah, we'll definitely get to that this episode. We're going to talk about some of the most exciting non-conference games, some of the most scary non-conference games because – most years there is a group of five team or two or three that beats uh, ACC team. And we're going to talk about some of the games that we are most scared of that happening. But first, obviously we had the ACC or we had the NBA draft a couple of days ago. We had it last Thursday. So a couple of interesting things happened. First off, it ended on a very positive. It started on a very positive note, I should say. And that is Scotty Barnes getting drafted at number four overall. We expect him to go around number five, number six-ish. He goes number four overall to the Raptors over Jalen Suggs. So what do you think of that, Jason? Yeah, I mean, that was a little surprising. But, I mean, we, we've talked about it in, our, in, in a couple of past award-winning podcasts about his versatility. You know, he's good now, but he's also very – uh, got a you know a lot of room to grow, so it's hard to to fault the Raptors there by taking him in, instead of Suggs, and you know he, he's gonna have he, he's really just kind of tailor made for the NBA these days. Just can guard multiple positions. His outside shot's gonna get better and better, and just a, a great pick for him personally, obviously, but also for Leonard, ha Leonard Hamilton and. and all that he's building with the Seminoles. If you look at the top five picks, though, we got yeah, Cade Cunningham, star in college. Jalen Green didn't play last year in college. Evan Mobley, star in college. Jalen Suggs, star in college. Then there's Scotty Barnes, who's obviously he was a very impactful for the Florida State Seminoles, maybe the most impactful player. But he was not the superstar that the other three players I named were. And it's just interesting because you look at Florida State and they just – that's what they keep doing these past couple of years is churning out these draft picks that don't necessarily do 
spectacular in college. They're very good college players, not elite, but then they get to the NBA and they're just, they're very good prospects. You look at the last two uh, NBA drafts and Florida state has all three lottery picks that make up the ACC. So Leonard Hamilton is really just churning out a factory in terms of getting players to the NBA. He seems to have the formula more than even a UNC or a Duke. I don't really want to compare it to UVA because that's more of a program where they're never going to have a one and done, but it's just crazy. Like, I don't think it's sustainable that all that Florida state is going to monopolize the ACC's lottery picks, but it's crazy what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've sung Hamilton's praises before and you know, this kind of, what this kind of formula reminds me of a little bit, even the Scotty Barnes pick, not necessarily how they play, but kind of speaking to what you're, you know, talking about as far as not some, you know, unbelievable stat sheet every time out or or what have you but it kind of reminds me of Rajon Rondo when he came out of Kentucky right now he was he wasn't a lottery pick he was a little further down I think he was around 19 or so but he wasn't a guy that you that just jumped off the page stat wise and uh, granted again they play they can play they'll play different positions I mean um Rajan Rondo was a, a specifically a point guard. Barnes can play the point, but more of just that had those intangibles, had that ceiling, had that high basketball IQ that really kind of bumped them up to the next level. And Hamilton really is just building a legacy here, just churning out these guys, like you said, filling up the NBA rosters with Seminoles. He gets a final four or cuts the nest down it'll, it'll be a slam dunk hall of famer also before we move on further down the list of acc picks did you i know you didn't watch the draft but did you get the chance to see that terrence clark tribute or at least hear about it because that was just spectacular yeah yeah i did i did that i sometimes what i can't just especially when, when we got a ton of stuff you know content coming out for for pipeline and whatnot I can't just focus in on the draft because it's a it's kind of slow moving, if you will. But yeah, that was that was really well done. You know, it's obviously a, a tragedy, but very very moving uh, tribute to Terrence Clark. The NBA definitely did. They handled that perfectly. They yep. they agreed. I think the the family seemed to the Clark family seemed to appreciate that a lot. I just wanted to mention that because I feel like we couldn't talk about the draft and not mention that that was one of the main parts of the whole show so I thought I'd talk about that but yeah then we got Trey Murphy we had Jalen John Trey Murphy at 17 I believe Jalen Johnson went at 20 which I don't know it's kind of what I feel like when he uh whatever you whatever word you want to say quit Duke opted out of the Duke season I don't really care what term you used but I feel like he was supposed to be a lottery pick and I don't know what happened for him to drop stock but just a little interesting how he moved down to 20. Yeah I mean I would if I'm an NBA GM I you know someone kind of opting out when my team seems like they need me would give me pause I mean he he has you know the ability 
and he has probably the um, growing room to kind of to, to turn into a, a solid rotation player, possibly even a star. But I can't, I, I, I mean, I have to imagine that that weighed in on their decisions. Now he goes to a place in Atlanta that kind of an up and coming, you know, team with former Duke star Cam Reddish on the team as well. And, you know, Trey Young. So we'll see, maybe he can kind of, he, he won't have to carry the load and can kind of flourish and grow without the spotlight on him, but we will see how that pans out. Yeah. Also just the, if you speaking strictly on court, we didn't see much of him in college and what that basically means is you're not really sure what you're going to get. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of question marks about his shooting, especially. And for the kind of position he plays, you don't want a shaky shooter. So I think true talent wise, I don't think it's tragic that he went to 20 because that's probably where he belongs, but I just thought it was worth mentioning too. Yep. All right. I'm going to ask you this. So we talked about Scotty Barnes going fourth overall. I thought it was a huge, pleasant surprise. You were like, eh, I kind of expected it, but overall, what was as a, Strictly ACC fan, what was the biggest pleasant surprise from this year's draft? Well, you know, obviously the Barnes pick. I think Murphy slotted in about where he was going to. And, you know, we talked about it um, with our shot quality guy. We weren't sure about Dayron Sharp. He uh, even said um, the GMs were going to have to go back to Dayron Sharp's high school film to get a really good sense of what he can do because he was kind of forced into playing just down strictly down low with Roy Williams didn't take a lot of great shots so him squeaking into the first round would probably you know it's it's a it's a bonus if you're an ACC fan um Florida State got what three guys drafted uh Barnes along with Raekwon Gray and Balsa Copravica, uh, both of those two in the last the last of the second round. So again, Hamilton building kind of that legacy. David Johnson was a, a good one in the second round as well. But yeah, I would have to say Barnes is the best slash Florida State getting three. And then De'Ron Sharp, you know, making it worth his while and squeaking into the first round. Yeah, I thought the David Johnson thing was a little interesting at 47th, especially because his teammate and obviously the much more prominent player at Louisville, Carly Jones, went undrafted. And we're not NBA experts, so we can't really speak to this, but I thought it was just a little interesting how David Johnson's skill set was a little bit more compatible to the NBA than Carly Jones. Maybe it's a size difference. I'm not sure, but I always thought David Johnson was underrated, but I think Carly Jones is clearly the better athlete of the two. So yeah, yeah, I mean that was that was interesting to me as well. And yeah, I would say that's probably my biggest pleasant surprise, 47th with David Johnson. In terms of biggest snub of undrafted free agents, I want to say Justin Ch- I want to say Justin Champagny because I think I expected him to maybe get drafted mid to late second round, so I was a little disappointed about that. But I'm going to say Moses Wright actually because even though I didn't expect him to get drafted, I think of the guys in the ACC that got undrafted, he was probably the guy that the NBA scouts, I feel like, missed on the most. I feel like he's actually a very good athlete. He could shoot from the outside. 
He's plays very good defense, very, very good around the rim. I mean, I feel like he has an all round game where somebody has to put up, take a flyer on him. So I didn't expect him to get drafted, but I'm still a little bit disappointed that he didn't. Yeah, for me, the, as far as snub goes, I, I would actually, I'm going to go kind of a, a weird angle. I would say Matthew Hurt for Duke, but I think he snubbed himself. I think he just had really no business coming out when he did. And we don't know what went on behind closed doors. Maybe there was something, maybe there's some, you know, disagreement with Coach K. I have no idea. I'm not going to comment on that. But I have gone on record to say that I thought if he stayed, you know, three, four years, he, he might could win a national player of the years, you know, especially kind of his career trajectory and his great start at Duke. And then to just come out and really fall flat, not even get drafted that, I don't know. He kind of, he kind of snubbed himself a little bit. I, again, who knows what goes into these decisions. Maybe there was some, family pressure maybe an agent promised him something that wasn't really true but definitely unfortunate yeah um matthew hurt definitely i mean it's a win it's a win for unc fans though you know what it's a win for unc fans because they get to say they get to push the narrative that coach k turned a five-star into an undrafted guy (laughs) that's that's a great angle hey rivals gonna rival right of course and we love it all right, I, we've been a little bit positive on this podcast, but I feel like there's one negative aspect to this draft when I really look at this from an ACC perspective. And I don't know if you know this, but all five of the all ACC guys declared for the draft and none of them got drafted. So not just Matthew Hurt, but the other guys, Sam Hauser, Justin Champagny, et cetera. I think Carly Jones and Moses Wright were the other two, off the t- if I'm remembering correctly. They all didn't get drafted. If you want to compare this to other conferences, the Big 12, all five declared as well. Three got drafted. The Big 10, only two declared, but one of them got drafted. And the SEC, five of them declared and four of them got drafted. And I'm not going to look at the Pac-12 because they have like 12 guys in their all-conference all team, so that doesn't really count for me. But the other three power conferences that we're worried about did much better with their top college guys than the ACC did yeah that's that now I just think last year wasn't a great year this to me this is the year the ACC needs to bounce back because otherwise you're going to start slip sliding away and with conference realignment looming you don't want teams like you don't want a team like Florida State jumping ship to the SEC so you you need to bounce back this year you need to have some top ranked teams I think you'll have it with Duke uh I think you'll have it you know Florida State will be there Virginia we'll see what happens with UNC and, and Hubert Davis Virginia Tech kind of was on the come up at the end of last year if they can kind of keep that momentum going we need some really solid ACC play this year or we might start to lose a little bit of that uh, legacy and that reputation, if you will. Basketball was what we had, man. I mean, I don't know what happened. We were not a top three, top four conference in college basketball last year, and we probably weren't the year before. So I 100% agree with that. The ACC has to balance back. They have to be at least top two to three because they're a basketball conference. And 
what we would say is, you know, we're struggling in football, but at the very least, we're a dominant basketball conference. Well, now we got the Big 12, Big 10, and SEC falling ahead of us the last couple of years. So that can't happen. Yep. Agreed. Uh, anything else on the draft, though, before we move on to football? I think that's it, man. I think that puts a pretty pretty nice bow on the end of college basketball last year, the, the remnants of last year up, up to the draft, ready to turn the page on basketball and, more importantly, ready to turn the page to football. Yeah, we'll definitely give you some basketball coverage as the season approaches, but right now we're just locked into football. From here on in, we got – like I said, 26 days till the season starts. So we're going to give nonstop football coverage. And I want to do a little bit of a ranking activity. So Jason and I, what we did behind the scenes, we came up with a top five list of two different categories involving non-conference games. The first list was the top five most exciting non-conference games, just from a purely can't wait to watch it standpoint. And the second list was the most scary non-conference games, just games that screamed upset, making the ACC look bad, making all the fans of other conferences poke fun at us. So those are the two lists we made. Let's start with the top five most exciting non-conference games in 2021. Jason, who was number five? Man, we went with Wake Forest at Army. Yeah. So I looked at this game and I was, I feel like it's one of those, I compare it to one of those basketball games where maybe it's like a Virginia against the UNC, you know, one of those games where it's like a team that's known to play fast against a team that's known to play slow, convert that to football. And you have Wake Forest who runs one of the most offensive plays per game in college football and army who put runs one of the fewest offensive plays per game in college football. And it's just two opposite styles, two opposite paces colliding army obviously runs the good old triple option. Wake runs the mesh offense with the, um, a lot of RPOs and stuff. So I guess sort of similar and sort of complete opposites, depending on how you look at it, but it's also a solid game, you know, army, they always have a good defense. I don't think their offense will be very good this year. I don't think they're at really as good as they were in like, I think it was 2019, maybe 2018, where they had a really good season. I think they've kind of fallen back since, but I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, well, if you're a Wake fan and you can somehow make it up to West Point, you, you got to do it. West Point's one of the most beautiful campuses, beautiful stadiums in the country, if not the most. So definitely worth worth your while if you can if you can make it up there uh agreed though on it's such a contrast of styles you know army's always going to be disciplined always going to be making you know the right play at the right time always going to be under under talented but army's recruiting has actually gotten a little bit better over the last few years believe it or not so it'll be interesting to see what your guy sam hartman can do from quarterback perspective I think for me, though, um, as you know, from just a strictly ACC uh, point of view, now that Paul Johnson ha has left Georgia Tech, ACC doesn't see that triple option that much. So 
the less you see it, the worse off you are. So this could this could be really an exciting game. Uh, Wake Forest at Army at number five. Triple option is one of those things where it's great to watch one or two times a year. But if you're a fan of the team, I feel like it, it just gets excruciating after a while. It's the same play over and over again. But hey, win, winning winning never gets old. And that's, that's what Virginia basketball says too. So goes full circle. But number four, we got Virginia Tech at West Virginia, sort of a rivalry. Yeah, well. Is it a potential future ACC matchup? We'll have to see because there's, you know, rumors swirling, obviously, with conference realignment that maybe the ACC adds West Virginia from the Big 12 and they would have some built-in rivalries, right? With, you know, Pitt, obviously the backyard brawl would be a a good one. Um, And as you said, Virginia Tech, right there, kind of close proximity as far as geographical um, location and, and, teams going after you know similar recruits but we've talked about it this is kind of a make or break year for Justin Fuente and got to go to Morgantown and at this point things could things could be totally kind of off the rails if you've put up a poor performance this point in the year and I don't know for tech fans this is obviously going to be a good one and it's going to be a, a tough environment, something that, you know, is, is always true of Lane Stadium and the Hokies and the Hokie crowd. But, yeah, this is this is, this one uh, has all the makings of, of being a, a top tier non-conference game. Yeah, it's very intriguing. It's one of those matchups I'm just very much looking forward to see. Not, I'm not even looking into the actual football X's and O's of it. I'm just looking at the matchup in the two schools, the two institutions. It's going to be very interesting. But number three, Jason, we have another one. Two schools that I feel like haven't seen each other very often in recent history, but it's intriguing in that. Who's number three? Got UCF at Louisville. So definitely kind of a an, an odd matchup, maybe, maybe like a non-traditional you know, matchup, uh, it's going to be interesting because this is obviously Josh Heupel left UCF and, and now coaches at Tennessee. Gus Malzahn, fired from Auburn, takes over at UCF. Is he going to take bring kind of some of that hard-nosed SEC football to UCF, who's been used in, over the last few years to being pretty offensively dynamic and it's just interesting because I think didn't UCF beat Auburn in that bowl game, right? When they were, I'm using air quotes. I know you can't see me national title winners. So yeah, yeah. it'll, you know, now he has a chance to, to keep it going, I guess, for, for the Knights. as far as Louisville goes, you know, uh, we've talked about it. Their defense is going to have, have been improved and Scott Satterfield is, kind of had to pick up the pieces in the offseason. We'll see where they stand. And he's could be kind of in a maybe not quite as hot of a seat as Justin Fuente, but if things start to go south, uh, maybe the cards start looking in a, a different direction. And this game could be a big part of that for Satterfield. Yeah, I hope uh, Louisville is able to grab this one. It's Yeah, it's very weird. And yeah, it's just two schools that really just don't see each other very often. Excited to see Trey, our guy Trey Clark, 
and the Louisville secondary go against that high-powered UCF passing offense and uh, Dylan Gabriel leading the way with that. So that'll be interesting to see. I think Louisville's defense makes an improvement this year. So we'll see that in action against one of the best offenses in the group of five, perhaps the country. But Yeah, it'd be strength, strength versus strength. So fun to watch. Number two, we've got Miami against Alabama. Very interesting matchup. That is week one going on that's going to kick off the season for Miami last year Derek King started his season against UAB and this year he's going to the land of the rich and that is Alabama I mean Nick we talked about how Nick Saban talked about it with late kick Josh Nick Saban it basically rules the entire college football world and college football is just trying to make adjustments because of Nick Saban and because of the dynamic that he has brought to college football and that just dominant aspect. So I think it's very unlikely that Miami wins, but the reason I find intrigue in that game is just the, the small opportunity that they have and how big it would be if they are able to pull off an upset. Yeah. So we've talked about it. We obviously, we really hope that Derek King comes back healthy and he's the same player he was, uh, Miami loses a ton on defense. Alabama loses Mac Jones at quarterback and really are, are somewhat inexperienced. I mean, they're going to bring in Bryce Young, obviously talented, but no experience. And so Alabama is, I'm using very, very loose air quotes here, is ripe for the picking. But we've also detailed extensively how Alabama comes out in week one and they really lay the smack down so many games we we went through it one one pod aware just game after game after game for week one just destroying guys you know destroying teams blowing teams out winning by 50 by 40 and i did interestingly see though there was one simulation that gay uh, on twitter uh, one of these analytics guys that run some simulation they gave Miami a 35 percent chance at winning outright which I thought was kind of high I mean that wouldn't you wouldn't get that if you if you took the 18 and a half point spread and 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 used it for the implied odds but interesting I don't know maybe maybe Miami could pull off a shocker I I would be I would be shocked (laughs) let's just say that so definitely gonna be exciting though you give me a 10 percent chance I'll take it I, that's the way I'm feeling about this game. But like I said, it's just the opportunity that makes it so exciting because it would be absolutely crazy. It would be a great story to see, great storyline if Miami is able to pull off the upset just to see Alabama go down. And the U being back basically at that point if that happens. Right. All right, who's our number one? Yeah, so before we get to number one, we had a couple of honorable mentions. We had the Bronco Bowl, Virginia at BYU. And I think you astutely pointed out that this game was probably scheduled, games are scheduled so far out in advance that it's probably scheduled while Bronco Mendenhall was coaching at BYU. So going to be fun, fun game there. Uh, Michigan State taking on Miami. Kind of odd uh, Big Ten ACC matchup, but, it, you know, a fun one. But number one was a, a no-doubter. Week one, Clemson versus Georgia. 
Yep. Blockbuster basically going to put the playoff implications because we still have a four-team playoff and not a 12-team playoff. It's going to set playoff implications right away. Going to set the stage for these two teams' seasons. Going to turn everything into a must-win game for the loser. If Clemson's a loser, they could win every game and they might not even make the playoffs. So now that I'm thinking of it, if it was a 12-team playoff, this game would just lose all of its kind of greatness because both teams are going to make the playoffs anyway. But now we still have a four-team playoff. I'm super glad to have finally Clemson play a really difficult out-of-conference opponent. Probably not good for them, but from our perspective, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, stakes, because it's four teams, stakes are as high as they get, and it's week one. And, you know, depending on how the game goes, if one team blows the other team out, that that could be it. The season could be over and their dreams of college football playoff be over. You know, we'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be uh, DJU's first year. I mean, obviously he played a couple games last year when Lawrence was in COVID protocol. But it'll be first year kind of like, okay, this is your team. Go at it. So we'll have to see how he does on, on, under center. We'll have to see how that Clemson defense has improved. And, you know, JT Daniels, they got a good quarterback at, at Georgia. Does Kirby Smart kind of give him the reins and let him let it fly? And maybe we got some high-flying Bulldogs. Definitely going to be an absolute must-watch week one. All I'm going to say is if Georgia beats Clemson by three touchdowns, I would not want to be in the ACC this year because Clemson is going to run up the score. It's every team. So. Yeah, touche. Onside yeah. kicks up 45 to nothing. <laughs> yeah. They're going to need those 90-point victories. <laughs> All right, our, our next list and our final list of this podcast, we had the top five most likely – Group of five slash FCS upsets over the ACC. So scary games, games that, like I said, are going to kind of have us as ACC fans scratching our heads unless we're root for the rival of the team. Then we're obviously hoping for it. But, yeah, I'm not going to count Liberty over Syracuse. That'll be a clear number one, but Liberty is going to be heavy favorites. So not going to count that as a group of five over ACC, quote-unquote, upset. But number five for most likely upset, most scary game, we have Louisiana Tech at NC State. Yeah, so Louisiana Tech coached, you know, the Bulldogs are coached by Skip Holtz. Is it me or is Skip Holtz coached every single G5 team in existence? I just feel like he's been around the block so many times. But here he is, you know, Bulldogs averaged – not a great offense last year, only averaging uh, 26.7 points a game going into NC State. But it would be interesting if they could come in and, and give the, the Wolfpack a scare. We've talked about Devin Leary this year. Uh, can he stay healthy if he doesn't? What's that going to look like uh, from a Wolfpack perspective with Bailey Hockman gone? Foreshadowing. But can the Bulldogs come in and pull? I don't know. It's gonna. It, it, they're gonna be tough. Uh, it, it, their defense. You know, they're returning ten starters, so they at least have that consistency. Can they hold down uh, 
the Wolfpack running backs, Bam Knight and, and Ricky Pearson. We'll see. Definitely uh, Wolfpack needs to be on their toes for this one. This 10 starters thing is interesting. I think if NC State is able to take care of business, which they probably will, it'll have to be because of their offense. The thing about Louisiana Tech, they've been a pretty solid uh, program in the, uh, I think they're, yeah, Sunbelt. And, you know, they've, I think two years ago, they won 10, 11 games. Last year, they made it to a bowl. They have a very high powered offense and they're, they have a very good run game, which hasn't really been a problem for NC State containing other teams' run games. They were very good last year with obviously Aline McNeil being the primary force, Peyton Wilson, all those linebackers. But it's, it's number five on our list. It, it'll be a slight scare. Just one of those games where I'm just showing my respect to Louisiana Tech as a pretty solid group of five program. Yep. All right, you want to give us our number four? Number four, Middle Tennessee State at Virginia Tech. So, yes, you were right about the foreshadowing because Bailey Hoffman will be returning to the ACC where he actually did play against Virginia Tech last year. I believe it was like a 45-24-ish victory for the Hokies, something like that. I think that was early in the year. might have been in the first game. And Middle Tennessee, they're – Let's see. According to the PFF rankings, they're 121 in the country, so definitely not something that Justin Fuente wants to mess with, having trouble with. Obviously, teams in the bottom 10 of the FBS have beaten Virginia Tech before, recently, last couple of years. Yes, I'm talking about Old Dominion, but <laughs> it's it's one of those games where. <laughs> Conference USA, mediocre team, ACC, just come on, Virginia Tech, please, please don't. Yeah, well, we have the the Bailey Hockman revenge game. So you're exactly right. Virginia Tech, that was their first game of the year. It was the Wolfpack's second game. The Hokies won 45-24. But Devin Leary actually started that game. Bailey Hockman only went seven for 16, 82 yards and two interceptions in relief. For a QBR of 2.8. Nice. That's right, 2.8. So, uh, didn't do that well last year. He's obviously going to have a completely different team this year with Middle Tennessee State. But, I mean, there is at least the factor that he's faced them, and he's faced a Justin Fuente team. So, you know, if, let's say, the Hokies get blown out in week one by UNC and things start to go sideways, they're calling for the coach's head. Maybe, you know, they're not, they're not focused. And, and maybe a, a someone like a Bailey Hotman, who's at least had experience against them, could come in, throw a scare in them, pull off some sort of miracle upset. Doubtful. Uh, you know, Middle Tennessee State doesn't obviously have the, the best offense in the nation. But it's at least something where – like you said, Virginia Tech's pulled that stunt before. So hopefully for, for Hokie fans and, and ACC fans, they, they don't do it again. History doesn't repeat itself. And Middle Tennessee State has done upsets before. Now that's basketball, actually. They, I think they, beat, they were one of the 15 over twos, which aren't even special anymore. But 15 over two, I think they beat Michigan State, busted my entire bracket. So I remember yes. that vividly. But we're talking about football, like I said. Yeah. 
All right, number three, we got Western Michigan at Pittsburgh. This one is at Pittsburgh, and the only reason I specify is because the weird thing about this one is actually supposed to be at Western Michigan last year had the season not been altered. So it's kind of weird, but Western Michigan and Pitt. Western Michigan, of the three teams we talked about, probably the scariest. That's another uh, MAC program. They are 72 in the – PFF ranking, so they're approaching that top half of the FBS, so definitely one of the more highly touted group of five teams this year. Yeah, and you know, uh, you think about you think about Western Michigan and quarterback Caleb Ellaby, big time offense, they're top three rushers and um, on an offense that scored 41.7 points per game last year. 7.34 yards per snap. That's a that's a hefty offense. I it just can the defense hold up against Pitt, you know, uh 34-year-old Kenny Pickett at quarterback, not gonna throw a lot of stuff at him that, that he hasn't seen before in, in you know 12 years in the league. So is Pitt and and, and we talked to our, our guy, a wide receiver coach, uh Brennan Marion for Pitt and, and the Panthers. And he's talk, talking about bringing that kind of hard-nosed pit defense attitude to, to offense. So be prepared for the wide receivers to, you know, be blocking hard and playing hard. And he's going to try and, you know, maybe implement elements of his go-go offense. So Pitt should handle this one. But anytime you get a high-scoring offense, uh, you know, things balls bounce certain ways and all of a sudden you're down, you're playing catch-up, you're out of your game. Always, you know, need to be careful, especially if you're a Panthers fan. You did say Pitt should handle this one. I do agree. But we're getting to number two, and now we're getting into single-digit spread territory, Jason. Who's number two? So, number two, we got Duke at Charlotte. Yeah, seven-point favorites the Duke Blue Devils are. They did play each other last year at Duke, and – that was Duke's one sure victory of the season. Everybody was worried. You know, Duke is – I think that was after Syracuse lost to Liberty by a lot, and everyone was worried they were going to follow that up with Duke losing to Charlotte and the entire conference was just imploding. Hopefully, Cutcliffe takes care of this one. I'm a little bit worried about Charlotte. Let's see. They are – where are they? They are outside of the top 100 in the PFF rankings, so – all that that just says more about Duke, the fact that they're only seven-point favorites against them. They do have a very good quarterback in Chris Reynolds, who should be perhaps all-conference USA this year. And they have um, some transfers from the defense, from the transfer portal. They added some guys in the defense. So, I don't know. I, I it's not one of those games that's going to be on the top of my list of watching, but definitely something I'm not going to chalk in Duke to win. Yeah. So, you know, our guy, uh, pipeline contributor, Samuel Wooler did a, a great Duke piece kind of previewing their, their best players on offense. They're, you know, uh, who could be a surprise and obviously featured running back uh, Mateo Durant, who's one of the top backs in the ACC 6.8 yards per carry last year. Quarterback play, Jace, Chase Price transferred out to um, App State. 
their quarterback play was terrible last year, to say the least. They had I, I can't even remember something like 37 turnovers. It was just some <laughs> something astronomical. Uh, just tons of interceptions, tons of fumbles. And Coach Cutcliffe is supposed to be that kind of quarterback whisperer. So if that doesn't happen this year, we've talked about is this where the Blue Devils eventually cut bait with Cutcliffe? We'll, we'll see. But, yeah, Duke gave up 38 points per game. Awful on the defense. So they lose this one. It, it could really start a downward spiral for them. And then finally, we have number one, and I think this is would barely even be an upset because Syracuse is barely even favored, but it technically would be an upset. Syracuse at Ohio, we got one of the worst teams in the ACC against one of the best teams in the MAC. So that's an interesting one. Ohio has played a lot of ACC teams in the past, and if you are familiar with them, you've watched some of those games. They had a quarterback in Nathan Rourke who was very good, and now they're having his little brother, Curtis Rourke, who will be their quarterback. So the Rourke dynasty at Ohio is kind of like the, what, the Genicali the dynasty at Syracuse. I was thinking more <laughs> like the, um, oh, the Florida State kickers. Oh, oh, yeah. Aguayo? The Aguayos, yeah. The, the flying Aguayos, yeah. <laughs> it's been like that where you could have eight consecutive years of Rourke starting for the Ohio Bobcats. Now, wow. Ohio, we are fresh off of a basketball upset with Ohio. Hopefully it doesn't translate over to football. But this is a team, they're inside the top 100 of the um, PFF rankings. They're actually, where are they? They're 86, so. Definitely something that'll be it'll be a nail biter. I'm going to say against Syracuse. Yeah, Syracuse one in ten last year. It's kind of put up or shut up time for Dino Babers. Uh, a terrible year this year, and he might uh, be filling you know in the unemployment line. Interestingly, though, Ohio coach legend Frank Solich retired in the offseason. So will some of that kind of turnover, uh, oftentimes when a new coach comes in, there's at least a step or two back while the, the new coach kind of grabs the reins and, and fits his own style in there. So it'll be interesting to see how the, the Bobcats play out. You know, Demutre Tuggle is one of the Mac's best uh, running backs, and they basically return their entire two deep on defense uh, which only allowed 16.7 points a game last year. So uh, Syracuse can't can't afford to give up a lot of points if they're going to face a defense that's that's already you know somewhat stout. Really, a game that I don't want to say the Orange have to win, but they kind of do. And uh, you know our, our Syracuse guy John, John Eaton uh, for contributes for Pipeline. I think he had them winning this game when he when he did Syracuse, when he predicted Syracuse victories this year, but hopefully for us ACC fans, he's right. No, you can't possibly be a Syracuse guy and predict them to lose this game. There, there's you can't do that. I mean, everyone's just going to call you the eternal pessimist, but you right. can't acknowledge the fact that it's a scary game and something that could get away from you. So that's what we're doing here. That's all. I'm definitely probably going to pick Syracuse when the predictions come. I'm not sure, but 
we'll save that for the future because that'll do it for today's episode of the Pipeline ACC podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on um, Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. You can follow us on Twitter. I am Dan at ACC Content. Jason is at Pipeline. And we'll continue to have content there. We got our daily previews for team awards. We're running through the ACC. We're going to continue that come Monday with Louisville. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pipeline ACC Podcast.